1: Plug in and get
0: connected to hot tips, interesting perspectives, and expert travel advice as we cultivate travel insight through intelligent conversation. What began as a brainstorming exercise for new topics turned into a trip down memory lane. One of the greatest gifts of travel is the stories we carry with us for a lifetime. Just as we have recorded not one, nor two or three, but four episodes of Tantalizing Travel Tales, we bring you something similar. Scott and Trevor's best, worst, scariest, and strangest travel experiences. Wow, that's a mouthful. And all of these take place in Asia, of course, which is where we are both located. I'm Trevor Ranges in Phnom Penh, Cambodia. And with me is my co-host, Scott, in uh, Bangkok, I presume.
1: Hi, Trevor. Yeah, I am in Bangkok. And I was just thinking, isn't it going to be amazing when we're recording some of these and we're not in Bangkok and or Cambodia it's bound to happen it used to happen more before but I'd say 90% of the episodes the last 20 months have all been in these places but I'm here I'm doing well and excited to be recording this episode some of my favorites I'd say the last year have been these ones where we thought we didn't have a topic and we get chatting and then all of a sudden wow we have a very full plan
0: yeah well you know the way I look at it is uh I figure you're always a pretty good guest for me to talk with and uh, I'm always excited to hear your travel tales. Uh, I think it's, uh, you know, I mentioned it in the intro, but uh, it just goes to show how much uh, we both experienced and how these stories that you carry with you from all of these destinations you've gone to, um, you can still share with me, and and I haven't heard them all yet, apparently.
1: Yeah, likewise. I am always amazed when you share travel bits that, yeah, I thought I knew them all, but it, it's far from it. And and as you think about these and we create these outlines, it's, it's fun too, because you get to relive those trips and you think about those things that happened along the way. So it's fun for me to help shape these outlines. And I guess fundamentally, that's one of the really great things about travel is that you end up with those memories, the souvenirs sooner or later get left behind, sold, thrown out and whatnot. And the photos are great, but then, well, I guess they faded in the old days of paper photos, not so much now, but you always have those memories. Yeah.
0: Yeah. Although we will be talking about some souvenirs that we've picked up along the way, uh, as well as memorable trips and scary situations that we found ourselves in over the years. Um, so I think it's going to be a good one.
1: So Trevor, before we get into the meat of it, how can people who like this show help keep it going?
0: Um, Well, they can become a patron on Patreon, and our patrons get special patron-only episodes and videos uh, that you and I shoot or record uh, and release every week in between our regularly released episodes. So for as little as a dollar a month, you can enjoy this bonus content uh, that we really enjoy putting together. So we really appreciate all the support of our patrons, including Lisa K. Thank you for your support.
1: Yeah. And give us a good rating too. If you're enjoying this on whatever platform, please click some stars, give us a nice little rating. So Trevor, we have a whole bunch of kind of random topics that we just threw in no particular order. Where should we start with this thing?
0: Yeah. You know, like when we did the outline and then we sort of cut it and pasted, like, cause I were, I mentioned it was uh, something of a brainstorm that the first one is the most memorable trip. and I was like, oh, that's a lot of pressure for uh, for the first question. And I saw that you you actually have a definitive best trip. so why don't you share yours first and then I'll uh, philosophize on what that means to me
1: yeah and You know, I guess it still isn't the best trip. I don't think I can pick one great trip. But, you know, my dad and I did a trip back in 2013 in August, and we met in Moscow and spent some time there. And then we did the Trans-Siberian across Russia into Mongolia a week there, a little bit of time in Beijing, and then high-speed rail uh, down to Shenzhen, and then uh, a train across the border to Hong Kong. And just that is epic. And no matter how many years later, every time I look at a map and I look at the ground we covered, it still blows me away. And I can't believe we did it. And to do it with my dad, that was kind of one of his dream trips. That was That was right up there. But then, you know, another close second was in, what was that? That was September, 2019. He and I went through Georgia, Armenia, and Azerbaijan, which is technically Asia. It's kind of, it might be Europe. It's debatable, but that was a really nice experience. I didn't have a lot of idea about that region and Georgia was great. Armenia was a really great surprise. Azerbaijan, I didn't see a lot of it, but yeah, those were two great trips and neat to do a trip with your dad. You know, we get along well and I found out we get along even better than I thought in both those trips, not even one tense moment between the two of us, which is really remarkable. How about you?
0: Wow, that's great. And you know, I'm going to throw my notes out the window and I'm going to take inspiration from you and say that my most memorable trips were all of the ones when my parents came to visit me, um, which actually is very memorable and would take me quite a while because, uh, as you know, you've met my parents, they do travel frequently. And they visited me in Asia numerous times. I mean, they visited me here in Cambodia many times, in Thailand many times. They visited me in Indonesia. We've traveled together to Vietnam. So, like, uh, you know, just going down that memory lane alone, I think, yeah, when you travel with your, like, you travel with your dad. But, like, uh, when my parents were here, you know, we like to do the same things, like exploring beaches and uh, you know, going for walks and trying to find little secret spots. So, um, yeah, those are cool. Otherwise, you know, my easy answer was my first trip to Asia, um, but that's covered in a bunch of different questions below. Um, and just like a summary of that, I, this is the first time I came to Asia when I was 25, and uh, I spent about a month in Bali, a month in Thailand, a few weeks in Sumatra, a few weeks in Malaysia and then uh, via Singapore to my hitchhiking adventure in Australia. Um, So that I'll cover in various questions as we go uh, through the different uh, topics today.
1: Well, that's great. I'm glad you thought about your parents there because they do come a lot. And I do love how adventurous your parents are. They are really pro-level travelers. And we should almost have them on for their travel philosophy and ways to get discounted tickets and stuff. But yeah, they are great people. And I'm glad that you have those experiences with them. So where do we go next in this conversation? Next question or next topic is the best beach trip. And you know, I'm going to talk about recent ones, because prior to that, I was always kind of the three night, four night max at a beach destination guy. And then in the last couple of years, I've had sort of five, six, seven, eight night Beach stays, and that's the way to go. I think after three nights, I'm just starting to get into that beach pace and groove. So I'd say seven nights over Songkran, which is Thai New Year's, in April 2019. My wife and I got quite a simple bungalow on Kopayam, an island, uh, kind of midway to Phuket from Bangkok off the west coast. That was awesome. And then another close kind of tied one was eight nights just uh, this past year, April. 2021 in Phuket a place I'd never usually go but because of COVID super quiet got a great deal incredible hotel right on a fantastic beach that was great and then another tie in there was uh Kampot and Got Rong in southwestern Cambodia with my parents and my wife in December 2019 for five nights at a hotel that you recommended and that was really fantastic so like Those are all from the last couple of years. And wow, I'm really into the long beach trips now, something I never would have done five to 10 years ago.
0: That's great to hear, you know, because I'm definitely in in favor of that style. But uh, eight nights, hold my beer, Scott. My best beach trip uh, was about nine or 10 months long. And uh, that's when, (laughs) (laughs) yeah, that's when uh, I researched and wrote the Travel Dojo Bali Guide. And uh, that was a deep dive. And uh, yeah, nine to 10 months, I stayed in my friend Joey and Miyuki's house. I adopted their dogs uh, for a while. They were amazing. I bought this great beach cruiser. I uh, had maps up all over the house with the different parts of Bali and color-coded folders with maps of all of the different regions of the coast. And Hannah and, my, and myself, uh, Hannah was a girl I hired as my assistant. We GPSed and photographed every beach on the island that that we could find um you know it's there's some amazing little secret spots in bali and i've developed an expertise in finding my way down to secluded beaches over the years something that i've learned and done with my parents and in bali even when they came to visit me there we we did a little like uh find the secret beach spots uh exploring together so that that deep dive into bali was definitely my best beach experience. And it was funny because I used to go to Bali often to surf as like a stopover between Hawaii and and Bangkok when Continental used to fly through there. And I had gotten burned out on on the the island before that trip. And then getting to go there and live there and and really experience the the whole place for, for quite a while was unbelievable. It was awesome.
1: Yeah, I have travel envy right there. That is an incredible experience. And I remember you down there working on the travel dojo book. So, yeah, well done, man. Seven, eight months. Uh, you can beat almost everyone on that one. Okay, <laughs> I want to totally shift gears. I'm going to throw to you favorite souvenir.
0: Yeah, you know, this one was was pretty easy. And I think this has come up on another episode. I don't know whether it was Tantalizing Travel Tales or if we did a shopping in episode Shopping in Asia episode. Um, because this was like my greatest negotiation story as well. This is like the the best negotiation I ever did to purchase anything. And, uh, it was a a carved wooden staff, uh, in the small village in Sumatra. And it was like on this hot, dirty road between the lake, Lake Toba and this tribal village where they had these long houses. And, uh, this woman had this wooden house next to these rice fields where she was working in the fields, but she, she walked from the fields to the shop to, to, you know, see if I wanted to buy anything. And uh, this it was like a totem pole. It's like a staff, like a carved wooden staff that's about okay. four, four feet tall, and it's carved with, like, people and snakes and crocodiles, and it was awesome. And uh, that negotiation to buy that thing, like I said, it, like – we couldn't meet and i just gave up and i pretended to like walk out of the store and then she would pretend to like start walking back into the rice fields and then i was like i can't believe you're just gonna let like the only customer you're ever gonna see for like a week not buy this and then we went back in and we'd negotiate for a while longer and and eventually i got it and it's a whole other story about how i managed to get that thing sent back from sumatra to to the us and and, and, and it was missing for years until it turned up in a closet, which is a, a part of an amazing story for that whole <laughs> shaman staff. But uh, yeah, that's definitely my most prized uh, souvenir.
1: That's a good one. And that was on one of our tantalizing travel tales episodes. I remember it, and we'll have links in the show notes to those past episodes. You know, I've got quite a few, and they are things that tend to still be around. I have a painting watercolor of Ha Long Bay in Vietnam that I bought back in 95 or 96. And it's framed in my living room. I also bought a Tibetan tanka painting, which is kind of those round paintings with all kinds of circles and designs in them. But I bought it from Tibetans in uh, Patan, Nepal. Two other things I really like. I have two bronze boot images also purchased in Patan, Nepal. And I have this hand carved wooden kind of pot now it's not really nice but i bought it from this group of people called the honey hunters and they live in the last mountain range in nepal to the south called the Mahabharat range and we used to stay there on my trips and they're really poor people and this guy was making it by hand and i bought it and it's on top of my beer fridge and then the final one has got to be the golden monkey which was this wooden monkey That we bought in Aonankabi when my friends were here years ago, probably 15 years ago or more, I don't know why, painted it gold and made a James Bond type film. And we talk about that on another tantalizing travel tales. I left it on a trekking path at a little tea house in Nepal and a year and a half later came back and it was there on a shelf. So there's another reason to go back and listen to that. Those are all things... That I still have in this house. And, uh, you know, most souvenirs you buy are kind of junk and you'll get home and you put on the crazy pants you bought or something and you go, ooh, why did I buy these? But uh, those are all good ones.
0: Yeah, you know, that's funny, though, because like, you know, here in Cambodia, like I, I have a, you know, a small collection of souvenirs, like I like to get something meaningful from a destination. Uh, to remind me of that place or these people I met if you could get it from someone who you bought it from. But the funny thing about that staff, again, is because it's so large and awkward to travel with. It's It's been in Hawaii all these years. And, and I do go to visit it sometimes. Like when I'm home, I'll go into storage just to go and check that out. So like it's, <laughs> it's funny how that one's left a mark.
1: And I realized there is one other one that I started doing when I did the trans Siberia with my dad and that's fridge magnet. Cause now I don't really buy very much. So I'd just be like, when we were in Armenia, I bought like an Armenia fridge magnet. And so I'll just feel as long as I buy a fridge magnet, I'm okay. So I get those two along the way. Well, let's totally shift gears, Trevor. How about one of your top wildlife moments?
0: Yeah. So I mentioned that a lot of these stories would be from my first trip to Asia. And this one is also from Sumatra. Although this was a, uh, a couple of weeks before I bought that staff up on, that, on the Lake Toba, um, I went to see the orangutan rehabilitation center at Bukit Luang. and uh, we—I mean—that entire trek I did that day. I think that's in one of our animal tales or it's our monkey tales episode. It is. So there's there's going to have to be links to other episodes if you want to hear the full accounting of these stories, but, um, yeah, we went through the forest where the orangutans had been released into the wild again. And, uh, you know, we were on this small trail through like kind of a bamboo forest and we were surrounded by orangutans. They were like, like a dozen of them and like in the trees around us. And like, some of them had babies and they were like the cutest thing you've ever seen. And, uh, just a magical moment to like go to a place where, They're doing such amazing things and to have the experience to be close to those animals uh, in, in their natural environment and without like disturbing them, I guess.
1: That sounds bloody incredible. I did see orangutans at sort of a semi-wild center outside of Kuching on Borneo, Malaysia. But they kind of come down to get food. That was neat. But what you're sharing there sounds incredible. And mine is in Nepal. And so I used to lead trips there. And you'd be in the Tarai, which is the southernmost area of Nepal, bordering India. And they have some tigers supposedly still there. And they have rhinos. And part of our trips there was an early... Morning uh, atop an elephant, looking for rhinos, and I'd done a couple trips where we didn't see any rhinos, and I sort of had given up hope that we would ever see one. And then one morning on one of those, sure enough, we saw a rhino, and two. Be atop an elephant, seeing a rhino come out of the grass and see how massive those things are. That was really cool. You know, I'd seen them on the zoo and of course on TV and, but when you see them in person, just a few meters away and you see how prehistoric those things are. Yeah. That was something that still really resonates with me today. So that's a, a top one. So why don't we flip the coin, Trevor, and say, what's kind of a, one of the worst wildlife moments.
0: Yeah, you know, we did an episode on this as well. I think we did a story just about animal tourism and we we warned people of some of the bad experiences you could have. But, you know, I'm not going to call this the my worst wildlife experience. I'm going to cheat and go down to one of the other questions that was the scariest moment. And uh, you know, when I first came to to Thailand on that first trip uh, back in 96. Um, I went up to Khao Yai National Park, and Khao Yai is one of the last places in Thailand where they have some wild tigers, and they have wild elephants, and they have uh, a lot of amazing wildlife there. Yeah,
1: I haven't seen any, but you hear of it all the time. Yeah,
0: yeah, we we did. I have seen elephants there, but uh, you know, we were just staying in because I was backpacking, and they had like little simple wooden bungalows there with like just a uh, not even beds. Not even mats. Like you needed your own, like sleeping mat and a mattress or kids sleeping bag and stuff, which I had, so it was fine. But we'd met these park rangers who told us that like elephants came to a salt lick down this road at night to get salt, and we decided the the the, the four of us to that we were going to go walk out and look for wild elephants in the middle of the night which is incredibly stupid right you know and, and we're like we're terrified that like tigers are going to eat us you know because supposedly like this monk had been killed in the in the park and if someone else had died that's what it was someone had like dropped their pen and bent down to get it underneath the cabin and there was a tiger underneath the cabin and it like snapped the person's neck and like dragged them off or something like that so we were walking around terrified that tigers were going to eat us and then we heard like the squeak, you know, the elephants kind of make like the squeaking noise and we ran back to this bridge. Cause we were like, what if the elephants are like walking down the road and, and they see us and they're going to like trample us. So like, it was a pretty funny story. I don't know that I've told that on, on any of our other shows, but uh, yeah, that experience at Kauai was, uh, was frightening and fun and educational. Uh, it wasn't my worst moment, but uh, it was a, it was a scary one.
1: I don't really have a, you know, a worst, worst one. I just think it's kind of those elephant camps that they have in northern Thailand where, you know, you see elephants paint paintings and kick footballs and come out in costumes and stuff like that. Like I don't know if it's abusive, but you just also realize like it's one thing to give tourists rides that's not that heavy and that's even frowned upon these days. But I went to one of those one time just to see what it was about. And it was just sort of sad. It's kind of like seeing the bear ride a bike at a, a circus or something like that. You just think like, why, where did that demand ever come from to see animals do human type stuff? So it wasn't terrible, but they certainly shouldn't be doing that. So mine's pretty simple, but uh, yeah. Have you ever seen one of those?
0: Yeah. I've been to some depressing kind of animal shows. Um, uh, I think we touched on that again in that episode about animal tourism. Yeah, those would probably be pretty bad. That's a that's pretty, pretty worst wildlife moment when you see an animal that should be out in nature, either dead or amusing people. All right, Scott, how about you share with us your most adventurous trip?
1: I've had quite a few, but one that sticks out is I was in Nepal in 2006 or seven because I was leading a trip, and our partner there, a guy named Mads, who's been on a few episodes talking about Nepal, he said, hey, we should ride our mountain bikes to the Pokhara airport, fly up to Annapurna on the north end of the Annapurna range to Jomsom, and then ride our mountain bikes East, kind of climbing up to a place called Muktinat and go to Kagbeni and then ride down the west side of the Annapurna range. And so we did that. We each just had like a day pack on our back, put the bikes on this little prop plane, flew there. And I think we spent three days riding. And again, that's one of those when I look at the map or I think where we were like, holy hell, that was pretty darn cool travel with just what you needed on you and riding a bike to pretty darn high altitudes and out in really remote, remote areas. And I'm really thankful to Mads for coming up with that trip and throwing it out there. And when I was doing those kind of things, running a travel company, I didn't realize that years later, you know, I wouldn't be running a travel company and that that everyday normal life I had would be so darn amazing when I look back on it. But that was a really, really incredible time. And then just one other that was on the bike was also cycling from Lhasa, Tibet, to Mount Everest Base Camp in Tibet, and then onwards to Kathmandu, Nepal. And I think that was in 2006 with three friends, and that was epic and still to this day when i see pictures of us there i'm like oh my god i can't believe i was there that was epic in every respect so those are two and they just happen to be on bikes how about you trevor
0: i'm going same story again i think for the most adventurous it had to have been my first trip to asia because just like it was before there was internet it was before there was cell phones right it was just like I, I put my tent in my backpack and a sleeping bag and some clothes and ripped the map pages out of a rough guide. <laughs> and then I camped on beaches and hitchhiked whenever I could. And, uh, you know, people would tell me about the Rajan Jones, that man who lived out with the Orang Asli people. And then I had to miraculously get a room where otherwise I would have slept out in the jungle. You know, like that That entire trip was uh, almost adventure just step-by-step-by-step by step by step all the way to Australia. And then Australia was by far the most adventurous, but that's uh, not quite Asia. So we've touched on that a little bit, some of those hitchhiking stories. But uh, yeah, I think it was like a different game when you were traveling without a cell phone or without, you know, connection to the outside world. It seemed like uh, it was more adventurous back then.
1: Yeah, I'd agree. You know, that was the majority of my travel life. And I love Google Maps now, and I love quickly searching for, you know, a great restaurant or whatever, but there certainly was a lot more mystique to it. And I think there's a lot to just talking to others. Like you actually had to talk to people to figure out where to go or where to stay or what to do and and so forth. Um, and I'm thinking about physically demanding trips for some reason that came up and, you know, one of them would be that bike trip through Tibet to Mount Everest that I talked about, but another one that shouldn't be as strenuous as it was, although it I mean, it makes sense is my friend, Greg W. from uh, Calgary, Canada met me and we went up to Chiang Rai province in Northern Thailand. And we had about, I don't know, five or six days of biking and hiking teed up. And every day was pretty darn strenuous, but about three, four days in. And I think I also talked about this on another episode. We started to feel awful at the end of one day. Like both of us were really, really feeling nauseous and rough. And we clued in as we were having a lime soda that it tasted incredible because it was salt on the rim. And then we ate a bunch of salt and we realized we'd become sodium deficient from sweating so much over multiple days. And I've since learned that you got to sometimes eat salt tablets or you've just got to literally, you know, eat some salt when you're doing multiple days of activity. But that trip was tough. But I mean, it was more just the resulting um, shortage of sodium that really, really buggered us up. How about you? Have you had any kind of really physically demanding travel?
0: No, I'm pretty much impervious to wear and tear. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I don't know. Again, uh,
1: not that I can think
0: of. I mean, you, you, you've done so much crazy biking and trekking and stuff like that. But in Asia, I haven't uh, done anything too demanding, I don't think.
1: You've done some gnarly surfing.
0: Yeah, you know, and you get tired out in the water, and sometimes it can be scary. And, you know, the, the crazy thing about that is it, it can be deadly, right? But, uh I don't know. That's fun. I guess it's demanding. Just like the scariest moment, you know, like, I guess any time you think you're going to die is scary, but, uh, you know, I, again, I rem- I'm reminded of the, the that yai trip. And, you know, the next morning we, we went to the national park headquarters and we were, we told the woman mm-hmm. this was back at Yai national park when we were out looking for the wild elephants in the salt lake. See, that's why they, they go lick the salt, Scott. So they don't get sodium deficiency. Mm-hmm.
1: Um, that's right.
0: Yeah. We're like, hey, you know, if, if four of us decided to, like, walk around at night, would that be okay? And she's like, oh, no. <laughs> we're like, come on. You know, like, we're like, if, you know, four of us with flashlights making noise, that would scare away, like, a tiger, right? And, and she's like, no, like, tigers aren't afraid of anything, you know. They're the apex predator of the jungle. They'll come and eat what they like, yeah. You know? So what was your scariest trip moment?
1: Yeah, it's not a bad thing, but I guess I, I don't really have too many scary ones which is good but i have bungee jumped a few times at a place called the last resort in nepal and it was on a highway between Kathmandu and the chinese border it was a 160 meter jump off a bridge suspension bridge like a foot bridge it goes across a really big drop and uh despite doing it a couple times i really really was terrified every time and i passed doing it a couple times because I got out on the bridge and I was offered to do it and I was, I can't do this. So that was pretty darn scary, exhilarating, but pretty darn scary. So let's talk about something that we're a bit more passionate about. We've both done a lot of motorbike trips. What is kind of a motorcycle trip that you really remember fondly?
0: You know, again, like with uh, any memorable trip, what's the most memorable trip? Like all of them, like I have such great memories from every trip that like, I don't know that I could choose anyone. So I ended up kind of thinking maybe it was the first one. And the first one was one of the scariest too, because like, you know, I'd never ridden the off-road motorcycle and I'd never ridden in insane Phnom Penh traffic. And, uh, you know, we thought we were going to die just getting out of the city. But then we rode down south uh, of Phnom Penh to Phnom Chiso, which is a mountain with a temple on top of it. And I didn't know what I was expecting. And, and just out of sheer luck, I just kept the accelerator down to the right tempo because this road that we drove up, it wasn't it wasn't a road. There was no way like any car could have driven up it at all. It was just like boulders and scree. It was like landslide or something like that. And, and my legs were like bouncing up in the air like I was doing like inadvertent supermans, just trying to hang on to the handlebars and just bouncing my way up the hill. It was terrifying and then when we got to the top i was like well, wow there's no way I'm, I'm going back down that and he's like oh that's good because we're taking the stairs down and uh and he wasn't kidding You to get to get back down you have to drive down like a couple of hundred stairs and they're not steep but it's you know stairs and i wiped out going down and not not bad but yeah like welcome to riding a motorcycle in cambodia so that was probably the most memorable, even if it wasn't the best. And and so many others have such great memories.
1: Riding a motorbike in any Asian city is, is no small feat. I have quite a few, and it's just a collection of the times when I owned uh, a travel company. I got to do so many days of dirt biking in Chiang Rai province along Phil, uh, remote hill tribe footpaths and, you know, doing road trips along the Thai, Myanmar, Lao borders, nicely paved roads through Mehong Son, Nan, and Pai Yao in Thailand. And wow, was I fortunate to have done all those. But you know, one that was really great and probably possibly because we just talked about it for so many years was we went to Priyakan Kampung Savoy and uh, we did an episode about that. And that's to a huge temple complex in central Cambodia. And we did it with our friend Harold and uh, getting to the place we overnighted after visiting that site was pretty harrowing. And that was just really great to finally do it. And it was a nice couple of days together riding and uh, yeah, I feel great to have ticked that one off.
0: Yeah, absolutely. Great trip. Very memorable.
1: So how about injuries? Have you had any nasty injuries while traveling? Hey, you know, that's interesting. Cause I thought about
0: it and like, I, I haven't really ever gotten injured while traveling per se. I realized once when I was in Hawaii, I, I had a surfing accident. I cut my leg with the fin. And then when I got to the beach, I slipped and hit my head and I ended up missing my friend's bachelor party, which is total bummer. Um, but I think, uh, you know it's funny because that's what like going home for the holidays to visit my family or something so i don't really consider that travel i just think that you know anytime you're injured and it interferes with any aspect of your life it's a bummer i mean we recently had an episode where i talked about getting sick uh on my birthday beach trip and just being sick and not getting to enjoy a vacation is, is is as bad as any injury so I haven't had anything too bad happen to me, knock on wood, but yeah, just getting sick recently sucked. And, uh, you know, anytime you slip and fall or something, twist an ankle, and you can't do what you hope to do, like hike a mountain, it's it's a bummer.
1: Yeah, I'm like you. You know, I've been really lucky. 22 years in Southeast Asia, no dengue, no malaria. I'm going to knock on wood, literally. <laughs> um, but I can think a couple of years ago, actually just in 2000 I was up in Chiang Rai and I was really lucky I was getting off a small little motorbike like just like what oh, Westerners would consider a scooter sure. as I was parking it I sliced my shin open on the scooter next to me the foot peg was metal and ragged <sighs> and it like I probably should have had stitches and it, it was really bad but kind of like you getting sick I think back to 2000. And I've talked about this on uh, maybe Travel Tales as well. I was taking a bus after being on Kopangan and Koh uh, Samui back to KL, and I had horrible food poisoning. I threw up on myself on the bus, and I was down for the count for a couple days. And in hindsight, I probably should have gone to a hospital, but that, that really took me out. And I was covered in vomit for hours. And yeah, that was a really nasty one.
0: If a monkey bites you, go to the hospital. Yeah, you know, and then you had to even hear just a separate category, sunburn. You know, like getting sunburned is, is almost an injury that can ruin your holiday as well.
1: Yeah, I've had sunstroke a couple times, but thinking back, it was probably my third or fourth month in Thailand, and I've never had anything like this since because I probably wisened up. But I ended up with this sunburn across my forehead and literally... Four or five inches width of my forehead and an inch high, I had a huge water blister. Like there was a massive pocket of water on my forehead. It was awful and it killed and it just looked terrible. And to realize that you'd burnt your face, the upper bit of your face so badly, that was really, really nasty.
0: Yeah, you know, going back to my uh, eight, nine months I spent in Bali, I kept a pretty tight budget on that trip accounting for all my expenses. And I remember it was either one or $2 a day that I spent on sunblock. It might've been two, but uh, yeah, I've always, uh, you gotta put sunblock on, you gotta wear a hat, you gotta cover up, man, like getting sunburned is, not as bad as food poisoning, but uh, it's a pretty, pretty bad way to enjoy a holiday. We, you know, like, I don't know, this kind of goes with the same theme, the injuries and sunburns and whatnot. Uh, how about the, the most dangerous moment? It could be adventurous or accidental or just scariest. What do you think?
1: About half of the things we've talked about on this episode are from past ones. Then This is a, a Travel Tales episode, but definitely one of the only times I've ever felt like physically i was really potentially in harm's way as i was researching an update for a guide map in mumbai india and it had rained really hard and i wanted a taxi back to my place with air conditioning because i get car sick if you get that muggy hot feeling and this taxi said he had it got in didn't i had to very quickly tell him like i'm sorry please stop he couldn't really speak english got out gave him some money, got another taxi. And he sort of then started following the taxi I was in. And he came around us and slid in front of the car, making it stop, forced me to get out of the car and, and stood there staring at me. And I really thought he was going to pull a knife or something. Like, I think he might've had a knife and the way he was looking at me and I kept trying to talk him down. People walking by didn't help. And I think I was very, very close to getting stabbed or assaulted that night. That was really one of the only times that uh, that was a pretty dangerous moment. How about you, Trevor?
0: Yeah, okay. Well, this is a new one then, but it's back on Bali. You know, I, I spend a lot of time in the ocean and in the water, and I'm so respectful, and I know how dangerous the ocean can be. Um, but sometimes it catches you off guard. And, like, my most dangerous moment was because I was with someone who was much more inexperienced than I was. So I was uh, I, ha- I was dating this girl and she came to Bali and we went up to like the Ahmed coast. And the Ahmed, that, that channel, that water that comes through that channel is so, the current is so strong. And uh, it's great for like kind of drift dives. Like if you want to snorkel, you can just like swim out a hundred meters into this bay and then just drift dive straight across the bay and then just come back in you know it's it's really nice but this one time we were at this place and uh you know we got caught in this rip and it was going to take us out of the bay around this point and and that would have been perhaps the end you know it was a little frightening and i was like mm-hmm. hey look i'm like we need to kick this boogie board that you're on over to like those rocks right there and, and so she started kicking and i'm like no like you need to start kicking like if you don't, we're going to (laughs) die. You know, like I had to, I had to, you know, like it it wasn't quite that bad, but I was like, if she doesn't help me, then we could be in trouble, you know? So like, it's one thing to be alone and, and be in a dangerous situation, but it's another to be with someone who doesn't know what to do and you need to be able to take care of them or watch out for them or you have to be wary of them too, you know? So I have a lot of respect for water safety, lifeguards, people like that, you know, it's the ocean is a dangerous place sometimes.
1: Yeah. You're a real water man. And I've spent a decent amount of time in the water, but yeah, that is when you have to have respect for the water. And I almost think an unhealthy respect in the sense that like realize you don't know what could happen. And yeah, those are, interesting ones so the next one we have here is tastiest meal and we've also talked about this in like favorite meals of asia or something again look at those show notes there's so much great stuff to go back and listen to here but i have a whole bunch that come to mind a place called pak putra in malacca malaysia pakistani restaurant i've eaten there twice and absolutely bloody incredible eating at little uh sidewalk tables also the smoked duck and chinese uh food at sek yuen in uh kuala lumpur Momos, those are dumplings at Jazz Upstairs in Kathmandu on Lazimpat. And if you get a really great Gapau Mu in Thailand, that's uh, minced pork, or you could be chicken or seafood, but I like pork, uh, with basil and chili, with a soft egg in Thailand. Those would be some of my absolute tastiest meals. How about you, Trevor?
0: Yeah, what are my top 10 favorite gapao <laughs> meals that I've
1: had mm, in, in my
0: life that's you know, an episode for, yeah for tastiest meal I'm like anytime I was in Thailand you know the Sukutai noodles at Sukutai airport that were like 10 baht or something right. like that amazing there was a restaurant I found randomly in Kota Kinabalu on on Malaysian Borneo that blew me away like the Malaysian Borneo food was so good and I went and ate there the next night as well when we were doing that orangutan hike in sumatra there wasn't actually an accident an accident uh this is on one of the travel tales about that girl who punctured her arm on that sapling we had the best coffee i've ever had in my life that night when we were camping in the forest in sumatra i think just like there's so much good food over here you know there's no tastiest meal i like that you actually have A list and you know I used to keep a list of like my 10 meals I would eat every time I travel back to Bangkok so like as soon as I get to Bangkok I knew like this is what I'm having for lunch day one day two day three day four This is what I'm having for dinner day the the days were interchangeable but I knew what I was gonna have for lunch five days I knew what I was gonna have for dinner five days because like there's food in Bangkok that could fill weeks of meals for me and make me ecstatic all right flip side what's the worst thing worst meal the worst things you've
1: eaten. I'm not a very adventurous either. Most of it's in my head, and I just thought of one uh, when you threw to me. So one, it tasted absolutely fine. It was 1996. I was on a trip with a friend going through Vietnam. We were in Hoi An. We met up with two other travelers. The four of us went to quote unquote a seafood feast meal, and it was multi-course. I remember one was stingray. There was some prawns. And then this tiny little shark comes out. We ate it and it tasted just fine until he went to clear the plate. And he kind of said, oh, this is shark, you know, from mummy's tummy. And we realized that we had eaten an unborn shark, a shark's fetus, which, although it tasted fine, then really threw all of us and just grossed us all out that we'd eaten unborn shark. But then one that looked terrible, and I can't even remember what it tasted like, and it's probably all in my head, but I was in Siam Reap. Marip- uh... Cambodia with some guys that I did business with some guides and we went for dinner and they ordered monitor lizard and it was just little pieces but it was very curly and rubbery looking with like spots on it and I did try a piece and I just mentally couldn't get past it and it really kind of scarred me for life what uh what is on your low ranking list Trevor
0: yeah you know this is weird because like a lot of those things like I've eaten a lot of ants and Tarant—I tarantula and i've eaten like uh, all sorts of insects and crickets and grasshoppers and you know most of those are always from like some pretty decent restaurant you know like you're not eating some ant dish on the sidewalk necessarily you're eating it in like some mm-hmm. ngo sponsored you know like they're training uh, young and disadvantaged people how to make fancy ant so like i don't think those are the worst things by far you know like i i almost think that like I don't go out of my way to find really nasty food, but like sometimes in Asia, like really nasty food finds you. Like, you know, I didn't get a shark fetus served to me, but like shark fetus whatever, but uh, yeah. I've definitely had some mystery stuff that I've had trouble getting down. And lots of times you have to, cause you're polite, you know? Um, yeah. That's it's a different, Foods here, probably in China. there's probably some things I ate when I was in China that are pretty high up on the worst things I ate list.
1: Right. How about funkiest bar or drink?
0: Yeah, it's funny. You know, it could be like because if we did worst and best things we've eaten, I like the idea of the, the drinks and Funky. You know, We're overdue for a, a bar episode, I think. Um Absolutely You know, for me, I, I I was thinking about this just the other day for some reason, but you know, I think this was the most interesting day drinking I've ever done. And it wasn't in a bar, but it was in a, in a village in Chiang Rai in Thailand. And I, I was doing this like multi-day. I did like a three-day or multi-day overnight trekking thing where I stayed in different places. And I don't remember. I, I'd like to talk to you about this sometime. Maybe you know more about what I did <laughs> than I did. But one morning at like 7 a.m., I'm in this, this like old man's house and he was some sort of local medicine man from whatever you know, tribal minority group lived in, in that region. And, uh, and he had me like, he got these chicken bones out and he was like like rolling chicken bones to, to auger my fortune. And then he was making me drink shots of this like fire water that, that he, he made, I guess. And uh, that was at like 7 a.m. in the morning.
1: It's a, certainly a, a big start to the day.
0: Have you had that experience in, in northern Thailand where some some medicine man read your fortune with chicken bones and fed you shots first no, thing in the morning? No, I know? have not had that
1: experience. <laughs> I've not seen it, and I've never heard of it. So oh. I don't know. Maybe that medicine man had been drinking Thai fire water through the night. I don't oh. know. So for me, when I think of some of my favorite bars – two of four are no longer one was the old cheap charlie's in bangkok on soy 11 closed for years another one was in tp bar run by my friend Thu, and that's also been closed for years i've really enjoyed upstairs It's a bar in Kathmandu on Lazampat, and I assume it's still there. And I always enjoyed Utopia, owned by my friend Rob in Luang Prabang. But, you know, a neat moment. My wife and I, and I talked about this on another episode, we were in Nara in Japan. And we were walking around. It was about four in the afternoon. And we just heard a bit of jazz music coming out of this little tiny wooden building. we opened the door. And there's just maybe 10 seats squished in and around an L-shaped bar with a guy behind it cooking. And there was two empty seats and no one looked keen, but they kind of finally waved us in. And we ended up having some really nice drinks, talking with people, had the most incredible fluffy rolled omelet. And that was just a really, really memorable moment. My wife and I just talked about it the other night walking. And I think it's one of those things we'll be talking about for the rest of our lives. So as we get to the end here Trevor, I don't know why we're ending on a low note, but kind of bummer trip moment. Yeah, no doubt.
0: Maybe we should have one more at the end. Bummer trip moments. You know, I was thinking it it it's probably and and it's because I, I have some problems with my neck and my back and uh, lately it's been acting up and it and it sucks because I can't get in the pool. It's really hard to swim. It's even harder to surf when I have my inflammation in my neck and uh the second stint i did living in bali my neck was injured like the entire time and i couldn't surf like i was in bali for like three or four months without being able to 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 catch a wave i think i surfed one time towards the end of that that three or four month trip um even my friend Albert came out and, and he surfed and i couldn't even go out with him so i guess uh i don't know that this didn't come up as an injury because it, it wasn't really like I got hurt during a trip, but uh, you know, living somewhere where I would otherwise be in the water every single day, and not being able to do something I love so much because because of a literal pain in the neck, uh, that was the biggest bummer trip. So while the the first time I lived in Bali was my most memorable beach trip, my second one was not quite as memorable from the beach uh, aspect. How about you?
1: Yeah, that does sound rough. I'm really sorry to hear that. That's no good. And and this is funny because we, my wife and I went to Sri Lanka over Christmas, New Year. I don't remember the year, but maybe like 2005. And we loved our experience there. Loved the country, had a really great time. But we ended up being put in this absolutely horrible hotel in Marissa in the south. And... It was, it was just really bad. It was super dirty. They'd unplugged the aircon unit and claimed we hadn't paid enough to have aircon. I negotiated that. And every time we got driven somewhere that we prepaid for, we found out later they avoided the expressway and it would add an hour to two hours just for them to pocket two or three dollars. Mm. And those kind of things led to tension between my wife and I and some fights and it wasn't anyone's fault that these happened. But when those hiccups happen on a, on a trip, you realize how things not working out that are even beyond your control can really damper a trip and a great memory. And, and every kind of, I used to, when I was in the travel business, always say, put a price on every hour because every hour you really want to be maximum value. And that trip, there was a good number of, of hours collectively that, you know, we we were just kind of tense with one another and it was no one's fault, but it was a result of that. And it kind of really made it a bummer.
0: Well, what do you think? Let's something we can leave on a high note. How about uh, tell me something you love? Share the love, Scott. What do you love about uh, travel in Asia? One good memory.
1: Okay. And this is a, a collective one is, you know, I moved here in September 99 with my friend Dan to open a travel company. And it was just such a normal thing to do. But looking back on those 13 years of designing, hosting people on life-changing adventures in Laos, Cambodia, Vietnam, and Thailand, and Nepal for 13 years, all those places I got to go, all those experiences, but then seeing the expressions on people's faces and knowing I helped shape people's memories of this region- that's, that's really incredible. And I've been out of that business for eight and a half years, but it's something I still think of regularly. And I'm still very, very thankful for. That was really time well spent. And I love the fact, again, that so many people's memories of the region are kind of, I'm partially responsible for. How about yourself?
0: Yeah, that's really nice, Scott. I like that note that you went out on. I'm going to say, I still think one of the greatest things about living in Asia, at least, if not traveling around Asia is uh, something we covered in Expat Life. And just the fact that like, I, I'm i always making new friends here. Like I, I'm making new friends of people who have just moved to Cambodia. Um, you make friends with people who are traveling through Cambodia. Like sometimes if I happen to be in Bangkok for a weekend, I, I'll meet people who are on vacation there and somehow we'll end up as friends. and. I think just one of the greatest things, you know, that that I love about living in the region and traveling in the region is just that, you know, whether it's local people or whether it's travelers or whether it's other expats, um, you really you you interact with people a lot, and I and I love those interactions, and I and I love that it it can be the opportunity to to make good new friends. Hopefully, my friends I've made in Bangkok will be seeing me soon because uh, I need some Thai food. <laughs>
1: Yeah, and you are really incredible at making friends. I'm always amazed. You know lots of people in every place. And you're you'll always mention names like, oh, you know this person. You know, I I have no idea. You are very skilled at making friends. So, you know, this is I think our second longest you and I episode. And I thought Mm. we'd come in at about 25 minutes and we're over 50. That's a lot of fun. And again, for anyone listening, go to the show notes. We're gonna have links to at least 10 or 15 of our shows a great back catalog there so make sure you visit the show notes if you like what we do please help keep it going go to patreon.com become a patron for as little as a dollar up to you know 10 20 a month we'll send you postcards if you really go for it and sponsor us nicely special little bonus material in between every regular episode um how did you feel about that thing trevor this conversation we've just had
0: yeah you know it's funny it did i guess it went long but uh I felt like, you know, some of these stories, some of these stories could be 30 minutes each easily, you know? So like, uh, I guess a lot of them were just sort of teaser tales, uh, for people to go to the show notes, talk dot com, check out the links to monkey tales, to animal tales, to tantalizing travel tales, to our favorite meals in Asia. We've had some, some pretty fun times sharing our stories with each other and, uh, having guests on to share theirs. So, um, If you're a new listener, thanks for listening. If you are a patron, thanks for donating. If uh, if you're a regular listener, uh, we'll be back in two weeks with another episode. Uh, Scott, you want to take us
1: out? I think you about said it all. Thanks for listening, everybody. Keep dreaming of travel. Vaccines seem to be working. The world is slowly opening up. Let's all get traveling soon. It is time to literally start planning. See you in two weeks. Thanks for joining us on Talk Travel Asia. We look forward to sharing with you again soon. Hey Scott, do you remember the time we walked on top of the wall at Anchor Tom and